Hello and welcome to the Mind Your Leadership podcast. I'm Karen Tsuk and today I will speak with Sheryl Jones. Sheryl is the founder of the Mindful Path and a former director of mindfulness at Aetna. Sheryl is extensively trained as a mindfulness-based stress reduction teacher and holds a certificate in spirituality from the University of St. Joseph. She is the author of Thriving When Your Cosmic Egg is Cracked, A Mindful Journey. So today we will talk about implementing mindfulness as part of the corporate culture. So stay with us. Cheryl, it's great to be here with you. We met at Wisdom Conference when you were the director of mindfulness at Aetna. I know that you continued your path. I will be happy to hear from your experience as a former director of mindfulness at Aetna. If you can share with us your journey there, how have you implemented the mindfulness aspect in the corporate world? I think it's really needed nowadays and it's growing, but it's really interesting to hear from your expertise. Thank you so much for having me here, Karen. I'm, um, I've been looking forward to this conversation and it's, I think, an important one, particularly these days with all of the change and the uncertainty and even chaos that people are facing um, with the workplace constantly uh, changing and we're always having to adapt. And I think what makes that stressful is that, you know, we don't like to change. We don't want to have to adapt. And mm-hmm. work life has become this, you know, constantly changing landscape. And for me, working at Aetna, it was a really wonderful and powerful opportunity to bring mindfulness into our corporate culture to be able to help our employees to deal with this constantly changing work life. And whether it's, you know, at the C-level for uh, executives and leaders or Uh, whether it's for managers and supervisors or for really everyone who does any kind of a job uh, in the workplace. Mindfulness, I believe, does have a place. It can help anyone doing any job in any part of an organization. That's for sure. So what did you do there as a director of mindfulness? How did you implement it in the corporate world? What, What did you offer your people? How did they react to it? I think today they're already ready to have these tools, right? It's not like 10 years ago that they didn't know what we're talking about. So I think as I see it nowadays, when I coming to organizations, there's always a change agent there that wants it and more than one. So this is how I see my mission, my work to come and connect with this change agent and help them to promote it and nourish it in their culture. What do you think? Yeah, and I think to your point, Karen, to be able to bring it into all aspects of culture, it really needs to be um, a top-down, a bottom-up, mm-hmm. a side-to-side, <laughs> and an inside-out approach. And at Aetna, we had begun our journey back in 2008 when we started a research study Uh, I had joined Aetna in 2010. 
to support our CEO and our commercial wellness uh, strategy uh, part of the organization. And it was a really powerful opportunity to first bring mindfulness into our coaching programs. So originally, mindfulness was seen as a wellness program, which I do believe is a great place to start. That makes sense uh, to introduce mindfulness as a wellness program. And we did that for a number of years. And then we evolved to having it be part of workplace culture, because I think that there's a difference between offering a wellness program and having a workplace culture of well-being, right? And so we were, the last few years that I was at Aetna, really focused on evolving from mindfulness being a program that employees could take and participate in versus part of culture. And so culture is you know, really about how we show up. How do we show up to work? How do we approach our work? How do we treat other people while we were, while we are working, while we're getting the job done? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, what's the point of going to a mindfulness program and learning how to reduce your stress and then coming back and screaming at your team because you didn't meet the deadline? <laughs> Not so much. <laughs> right. It's like that kind of Okay, that's great. In the wellness program, we learn these new skills and practices, but then how do we make them real during the workday? So that really was my journey at Aetna, first leading strategy for wellness programs, then leading strategy for what does it look like within the culture? So it's interesting what you're saying, because I always connected to the broader aspect of the mindfulness. For me, it's Really, it's not only the meditation and the wellness and the ability to cope better with stress and anxiety, but how we can behave in a conscious way, how we can increase our self-awareness and achieve better results, better relationships, being able to be connected to our feelings, but without them managing us, we can manage our feelings and have difficult conversations. So it's interesting. It came to me. Like it's kind of an insight for me that, that you talked about the difference between the wellness and the culture, because now it's resonated within me. It clarified for me that I'm really working with the culture aspect, the broader picture. So I remember that a few years ago, one of the CEOs asked me if I'm working on the stress reduction, time management. And I say, no, no, it's not what I'm doing. And afterward, I said, yes, it's part of what you're doing, but because it's not, for me, it's only part of it. It's not the main issue. I wasn't focused on it. So it really helps me to, I think, also to our listener to understand the positioning of the mindfulness, because it starts with a, a tool for ourselves, but has a much broader impact on the, our surrounding, right? So Yes. Yeah, and it's interesting that, you know, we help each other connect these dots, right? It's in having these kinds of conversations that we understand how to connect all of the aspects of what it actually means to bring mindfulness to an organization, you know, no matter what size, whether it's a startup or, you know, a Fortune 20 company. Mm -hmm. It's the same thought process that it's not separate, right? Like if I, if mindfulness is this 
island unto itself. And it's just this kind of separate program that is separate from the wellness strategy. So I'm going to dive even deeper here, Karen. So what we, what we didn't do at Atna and what I think the opportunity is, because again, this takes time and it takes years to get everybody in a big company thinking similarly. So I think the work that still needs to be done mm-hmm. is to not have mindfulness be a separate program when you're offering a suite of wellness offerings, for example. So people need to understand what is the relationship between mindfulness and sleeping better? What is the relationship between mindfulness and eating better or managing weight? What's the relationship between mindfulness and moving more and exercise? You know, so these traditional wellness programs uh, for, you know, quitting tobacco, losing weight, stress reduction, mindfulness is at the core, needs to be at the core of a wellness strategy, not a separate program that, okay, learn to meditate over here, then log your walking miles in over here, then track your sleep over there. Mm -hmm. And to the human being who's a whole person, who is trying to figure out how are all of these pieces of my health and well-being interrelated? So that's a conversation that we need to have when setting up the wellness strategy. And then to back to our conversation about, you know, how does that relate to culture? If an individual is practicing mindfulness to live a healthier, happier life, how does that impact a work team? How do we take those skills that we learn at the individual level and bring them to our work team? How do we take a minute or two or five and all be quiet together before we start a meeting? How do we manage our calendars so we're not in back-to-back meetings? And how does that impact how we get our work done and treat each other? And then how does that impact the bottom line? Because we know the research supports that employees who are engaged, employees who are have well solid well-being practices are happier, they feel a sense of purpose and of course that all helps an organization to thrive, right? That's right. I agree with you because you're talking about the holistic approach. At the end of the day, individual is a complete person, right? He has different aspect. I always call it like a pizza. You have mushroom, you have tuna, you have uh, olives, and you can't leave a few of them at home. You need to bring all the slices, all the diversity within you to the workplace and how you manage it. So this is how I see what you're talking about. The mindfulness, I see it as a tool. At the end of the day, it's a tool to connect to ourselves more holistically, to be connected to our feelings, to our thoughts, to our emotions, to and to work with it in a more uh, complete way. The way it resonates in the culture, people react differently to one another. Uh, there's a different conversation between people that are listening from a deeper place. They don't come with their assumption and trying to convince you. They maybe say their assumption and put it aside and then listen fully to what you say and enable a new knowledge and wisdom to emerge. You know, it's interesting because for me, it always was connected. I'm a really practical woman. I, I know that some of the few of the people that will listen say, no, meditation, you need to meditate without um, 
seeing it as a tool or something instrumental. But it's a kind of a paradox because yes, I'm not now uh, meditating in order to have more two clients, but I'm meditating because then it has benefits for me, right? Calmer, I'm more focused, I'm more productive, I'm happier. So at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's both of the sides. It's also you do it for the sake of doing it, but we do have the benefit out of it. And then it resonates within the organization. So, you know, when people are coming to my courses, I see the meditation as a central tool, but not the only tool. I'm really not coming from a cynical place, but it's actually a central tool, but it's it's a tool at the end of the day, because what the, the goal, the goal that each and every moment we will be mindful, right? We will be in a kind of a meditation. So you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, it's so interesting what you're saying about it being a tool. And the way that I think about mindfulness practice, right, there's two different things. And this is a place maybe that would help to offer some clarification for people out there who are wondering about this. You know, what is the difference between mindfulness and between mindfulness meditation? Because they are two different things. So let's just unpack it a little bit. Mindfulness is a particular way of engaging in the workday, engaging in life in general. And again, it's how we're showing up, how we're being present for what's happening within us and how we're being present for what's happening around us. So whether it's the work that we're doing, conversations we're having with people. So that's this way that we go through life right? More awake, more present in the moments of our lives. Yeah. It's practically impossible to do that without a meditation practice. Not impossible, just really, really hard to be awake and present if we don't have a strong mindfulness muscle. And the way that we strengthen our ability, our capacity to be present in the moment of our lives is through meditation practice and not just any meditation because there are many different forms of meditation just like there are many different forms of exercise. Mm -hmm. If you want to run a 10K, you're not gonna lift weights, you're gonna run, right? If you want to cultivate awareness, you're not gonna do a visualization meditation, you're gonna do an awareness meditation, a mindfulness meditation. So I think this has been a point where people get confused and think any kind of meditation is mindful. It's a great thing to do. Any kind of meditation, just like any kind of exercise, is good for our health and well-being. Mm -hmm. But let's be clear on what we're doing and why. So getting back to your point about this being a tool, I like to say that mindfulness is a practice And it's also a tool or a skill, you know, whichever Mm -hmm. language you prefer, because to your point, if we do have a mindfulness practice, and it doesn't mean that we have to be meditating for hours, you know, maybe 10 minutes, 20 minutes is where we start to see some pretty impressive benefits, but any mindfulness practice, even if it's one minute is better than zero, right? That's right. So this idea or this practice, right? Having some type of meditation, mindfulness meditation practice helps us to realize many benefits, right? Like you said, we're not trying to gain new clients. We're not trying to have more uh, business sales. We're not trying to use mindfulness for gain. 
but the benefits of mindfulness do enable us to flourish in every aspect of our lives. So, you know, I think it's really about intention. If we go into the practice with an intention to take care of ourselves with a willingness, it's like a willingness to be with ourselves as we are in the moment. And this willingness to stop and tune into the body, to tune into the breath, to notice the thoughts going through the mind, to allow ourselves to notice any feelings we're experiencing. This willingness to stop and be with ourselves as we are is not an easy practice, but it's pretty simple. (laughs) And by doing that, there are all kinds of benefits which will be different for each person. I agree with you. I want to say a few things. First of all, as you said, there are various kinds of meditation. There's a the focus meditation, there's the mindfulness meditation, there's the open awareness meditation. And I think each and every meditation has different benefits. So like the open awareness meditation helps us being able to be in the present moment and to listen to whatever occurs. It can be in air condition. It can be a door that someone opens. In this practice, we uh, nourish our ability to accept and to listen better to different things around us that we haven't seen before. So this is actually practice that help increase our beginner's mind, right? Seeing new things in a different way. So I think we have different meditation that we can use, as you said, for different aspects in our lives. And, you know, it's interesting because I thought about it when I actually started meditating like 17 years ago, when I actually wanted to change a pattern within me. I had a pattern that I really didn't like and I started working with it and uh, reflecting upon it and meditating and feeling my emotion, unpleasant emotion arising within me. And it helped me to let go of this pattern that I wanted. So, you know, I came to it not in the regular path. I came from a wish to increase my self-awareness, to change my patterns that didn't serve me anymore. I think there's different ways to get into this world and to nourish different practices, right? Yeah, I love what you're saying about that patterns because when we do start to have this, um, you know, sort of new awareness, uh, a new awakening, and we start to see things a little bit differently, um, like you said, we may see patterns of behavior or even patterns of thinking that, uh, as you had said, don't necessarily serve us. And we can have that self-compassion and have the intention to change. And what's so powerful and beautiful about having a mindfulness practice is that we can rewire our brains or our brains can rewire themselves, right? Mm -hmm. And so all of the research supports this, that, you know, we know that neuroplasticity is real, that we are able to lay down these new neural pathways. So if we want to create new patterns of thinking or new patterns of behaving. I think it offers us so much hope because we used to think that, you know, we're not capable of that change past a certain age. And now we know that old dogs can learn new tricks. (laughs) Uh, That's great. We all need it. So what do you find most um, beneficial for you when you practice, when you work with leaders and managers that you work today? I understand that you have today your own company, right? And you work with business owners and 
theater. So how do you experience nowadays the different tours and what do you see, see most needed? It's a great question. And uh, through my business, The Mindful Path, I've had the opportunity to support a number of uh, leaders and uh, organizations with taking what I learned from my journey at Aetna and taking it to the next level because I can run faster now by myself. Uh-huh. <laughs> for sure. um, but I think, you know, the main thing is to first have a conversation that is very simple and, you know, really to educate and build awareness and talk about the research. And we don't need to spend a lot of time there because the great thing about mindfulness is that it is something that is innate within each of us as a human being. We don't have to really try that hard. What we have to do is our thinking gets in the way. But as mm-hmm. soon as somebody is willing to actually try a practice, it's pretty easy because it's like, oh, huh. it's like home. Yeah. And so once that um, that is understood, then we start with developing really simple practices. And again, to strengthen that muscle, whether it's, you know, just five minutes or 10 minutes and then interspersing one minute pauses where we purposefully stop and give ourselves just a slice of space to gather ourselves up. Because let's face it, you know, for leaders in particular, and in these, during these days and during these times, there's enormous pressure to perform, answering to shareholders, they have their directs, and how do we help leaders to be able to pause so that they can have the clarity that they need to make very important decisions and to also approach it in an open way so they don't feel the pressure of having to make decisions in a bubble. And so for me, it's about helping leaders to develop a very simple mindfulness practice and then start to incorporate it into the workday and to not be in the closet about it. If you have a mindfulness practice and you are working on yourself to become a a mindful leader, then what a beautiful gift to share with the people around you. Because I think that we do need to have this modeled and shared and not be afraid to talk about it at whatever level we're comfortable. And, and really and truly, it's a simple question, a few, a few simple questions. You know, once the establishing a simple practice occurs, it starts to make more sense. You can start to ask yourself as a leader, how do I bring mindfulness? My own, how does my own mindfulness practice help to inform the business strategy? Right. It's not something we do later. It's the practice is what enables us to, as you had said earlier, Karen, approach setting the business strategy with the beginner's mind, with this openness and curiosity of what is possible now and to make sure we're asking the right questions from the get go. And then to also understand not just from leaders, but, you know, at a higher level, but managers and supervisors, because that's where all the work gets done, right? How does mindfulness help you to achieve your strategic priorities, your business objectives on your in your business unit, on your specific team? Mm-hmm. And to ask the questions and trust that everybody has wisdom. What are the connections? And to facilitate a meaningful conversation. And I really believe that mindfulness helps us 
to have these meaningful conversations that do help us to create new workplace habits, new processes, new ways of doing things, and to help each other along the way. So at the end of the day, I think each and every one has his own practice and especially in the corporate world, not everybody is connected to this practice. So I need, as I think that as a leader, you need to be also conscious about it and not force anybody to do what he doesn't connect to. So you can, I think you can start a meeting and even asking to pause. You don't have to close your eyes if you're not connecting to it. And five minutes to sit and even look around and be present and letting your thoughts go, you know, bring it in a lighter way. Now I think it's more common, you know, 10 years ago, it was really different situations. So I remember that people were distanced to the practice because there also wasn't so much research that showed that it's increased neuroplasticity and change our brain and all the benefits. So this is one aspect. I think you, you need to offer it, you enable it in the organization, like have a space, quiet rooms like Salesforce, right? They have quiet rooms that people can go and sit there and be quiet with themselves. You don't even need to meditate if you don't like. And the second thing I think also when I work with leaders and first of all, when I accompany co-founders and we have a challenging conversation, I invite them to start with the meditation. Today, I dared to do it. A few years ago, I didn't dare to do it. So now it's coming. It's okay. So we started with five minutes meditation and it's amazing the impact that it has because it really enables space this is what I felt when I worked with co-founders. I felt the, um, the unpleasant emotion, like the anxiety, the stress, and it was there. So we gave it a little bit place and enabled it to be present. And then it also transforms, also enable a new space to speak from a different place. I think it's really, at the end of the day, is practical because you pause and then you come fresh to the situation. Even between when I work with the leaders, I tell them, I offer them to set a meeting with themselves, even for 10 minutes between meetings, you know, to stop, to pause. It's so uncommon for us because we are running all the time, right? We don't have the ability. It's not in a state of mind still that it's okay to pause. It's okay to have a meeting with myself. It's okay to say, I need to go out for a walk for 10 minutes. What I also hear from you, it's really applicable in the day-to-day. It's not only going now 30 minutes meditating. No, you can put it through the day. You can put it in your calendar. You can use it as a tool to increase your uh, time management also, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's two things. One, kind of to your earlier point, it's counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense. We, we've been all trained to power through the workday. Yeah. So we're thinking, I have all of these things on my list. I'm in back-to-back meetings how do I even have time to stop, right? That's the first mental barrier that we have to overcome. And so to your point, I think that's a great example, a great strategy, like any other meeting, to literally set up our calendars so that we have space. I think space is the operative word here. And we can retrain our brains. We can refashion our calendars, which means we can rework how we go through the workday by purposefully creating space. And again, while it may seem counterintuitive, it's actually quite logical. (laughs) By creating space, we are able to 
more calmly and clearly see what the present moment is calling for. That's right. Cheryl, you wanted to share with us your personal journey or tips from your personal experience for the listener who wants to take it to the next level in their own path or journey? I think, like you said, Karen, it, I've discovered in my journey too that it starts with permission, giving ourselves permission to take care of ourselves, to be our most effective selves and We need to meet ourselves where we are. And it's not like we're going to, you know, starting tomorrow, I'll be meditating every day for 20 minutes, but maybe that's something that we can work up to. So starting with just short practices, maybe one minute, two minutes, three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever. So creating space on purpose, looking at our calendars and creating space on purpose. Eventually, it'll be natural because as we talked about earlier, when we lay down those new neural pathways and we rewire our brains, we create new patterns of thinking and behaving, it will happen automatically. We won't need to try so hard or plan so much to get these mindfulness practice woven into the day. They'll be more natural. They'll simply be the way we go through the day. But in the beginning, it's very helpful. And I also think it's very helpful to do this not by yourself, because until you learn, what does it actually mean to stop? How do I even be with myself? I remember the, for the first year when I first did my teacher training in mindfulness-based stress reduction, I had to listen to my teachers. I didn't know how to meditate by myself. Just like if you hire a personal trainer to help you make sure that you're doing your exercises in the correct form so that can be effective. Mm -hmm. So I do think it's helpful to learn how to develop a mindfulness meditation practice. And I do have free classes that I offer um, to help people to be able to do this because I think that's the first step. And then all the rest truly becomes I don't want to say easy, but more clear, less effortful, but it starts with creating a sturdy home base and having support for, for the journey. I agree with you that it's easier to meditate with a group, right? Because the, something in the energy holds it. So it's much easier to, st- if you're starting med- to meditate, it's better to connect to a group and then it will be easier to meditate. This is what I see in my courses. People, it's much easier for them to get into it. And then when, after the course, they when they need to start meditating alone, it's difficult for them. So I always offer to continue practicing in a, in a group. You can do it with one person, two person, or it can be a small or a big group. The second thing that I wanted to say, I love what you said about acceptance, because I think As individuals in the Western world, we don't know how to accept ourselves. We are so judgmental. It's, wow, it's in our genes. So it's really ch- a challenging thing to do, to be able to sit with myself and accept whatever comes. It's, I think it's a muscle that we need to practice more and more and more. And, you know, when people ask me in the course, what, how do I know if I succeed in meditating? So, you know, it's a paradox because there's no success in meditating. The fact that we sit... And see our thoughts and let them go and bring our attention back to the present moment. This is 
the training. This is the awareness, right? The minute I see my thought, acknowledge them, let them go and bring my attention back. This is the mindfulness aspect. But usually what's happened when people are at the first time starting to practice, all the thought, are, it's overwhelming because all the thought come because we are not regular to sit with ourselves and not do anything. And then they get a little bit stressed about it. Okay, what is all the thought that I have in my mind? What I'm telling them that that's okay. It's okay, the thoughts that are coming. This is the practice. Actually, this is the practice. It's not an easy practice, but this is the practice. And as we practice more and more, the space between the thought is broadening, right? I think it's important to clarify it because people, when they start, they, as you say, they want to know if they succeeded in practice, didn't succeed. This is what it means. So people think that if they'll sit now and practice one time, they will get enlightened. Unfortunately, even after 20 years, we don't get enlightened so quickly. So I agree. I think they also need good suggestions that you gave them to practice in groups and also uh, understand that this is the practice. And if and that you think you don't do anything right, this is the practice, right? It's kind of a thought. Is it right? Is it not right? This is the practice. When you see the thought, let it go and bring your attention back to the moment. Oh, it's so true. And how often, you know, people have said to me as well um, in my career, in my life, that, um, you know, they think they're doing something wrong. And I think that's what keeps a lot of people from maybe developing a meditation practice because A, they don't really know how, don't know what that means. And B, we become so critical and we think that we're doing something wrong. And so I think honestly, that's why I started a mindfulness meditation practice because it made sense to me. It's like, oh, of course my mind is going to be busy. Of course I'm always going to be thinking thoughts. It's not just my mind, that's the human mind. But through our meditation practice, we learn as you were describing how to skillfully work with the busy mind. And sometimes when we meditate, the mind is more quiet. Sometimes it's more busy. Sometimes we feel more emotions. Sometimes we feel less. Sometimes we notice all kinds of aches and pains in the body. Uh Sometimes it feels really pleasant. And again, I think, you know, for me, my word is a willingness, a willingness to be with ourselves as we are without judging ourselves, without judging the experience And actually, that is what cultivates resilience. You know, we all want to have resilience to navigate whatever challenges life presents us with. And this willingness to be with ourselves as we are with curiosity and self-kindness, this is actually what helps us to be in those stressful moments during the workday and not be so judgmental of, oh man, I can't believe I said that, that was really stupid, or that's never going to work, or I can't believe that person just did that. You know, like we can show up, what we practice in our meditation is what helps us show up in those stressful situations during the workday that we all experience with less judgment and more curiosity, which over time reduces our stress and helps us to be more innovative and have more clarity. 
Uh, but it starts with us. I guess that's the point here in our conversation. It starts with us. <laughs> we can yeah. talk about workplace culture all day long. We could talk about wellness programs all day long. We could talk about business strategy all day long. But at the end of the day, it does start with the individual and it permeates outward through the company. That's right. At the end of the day, it's the ability to manage ourselves and from this place, To interact with others I also want to add to what you said the ability to practice mindfulness and even feel a pain in my leg now and not automatically move but be a moment with this pain be with it put my intention there and maybe this pain will go away and maybe not and then I will need to change my position but this is actually the practice that enables us to be more able to be in the uncertain times right to hold the the uncertainty to be there and not to be stressed about it. So this is a great practice that we need nowadays to enlarge our ability to be in the uncertain, to not know the answers, to be in the complex reality, as you, all of you in the United States, and we'll experience, I believe, in the few coming days, you're in a situation that you don't know who will be the president. It's really stressful. So, you know, it's a bit, and this is one option, you know, the coronavirus, I can... say a lot of things that represents the uncertainty in the, in the complexity in the VOCA world that we live in nowadays. So I think this is also another benefit, a big benefit that we have by practicing the mindfulness and the meditation. Cheryl, before we wrap up, is there anything else you want to say? Or? Well, I'm so grateful to be here, Karen. And I, I truly hope that our conversation today inspires people to take just one tiny step. I think that, you know, when we see something about ourselves or something about our lives that we wish to change, that we need to be patient and we need to take baby steps and we can support each other along the path to a greater state of health and a greater state of well-being. So thank you so much for inviting me here. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed it and it's really inspiring. This was Cheryl Jones. Hope you enjoyed our conversation and that it helped you unfold various aspects of the mindfulness now to implement it in the day-to-day culture. You're invited to subscribe to our podcast in order to know when we upload a new episode and to follow us on our social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or whatever works for you. See you in our next episode. Until then, take care and bye-bye.